morning, everyone. Now that's good. You're still here, aren't you? The service is only going to go a little bit longer. It's going to be okay. I'm so glad to be with you. Thank you. I live in Orlando, so it's an easy trip to come here, and it's great to be with you. And I've been in this network of churches in Jacksonville for a long, long time at different times. And some of you I've met. I'm glad to see you again. Hello. And I'm really glad to see all of you that I haven't met before. What a great thing you're doing here. Do you agree with that? Okay, good, good. Um, I don't know if you knew this or not, but if you knew this before you came this morning, this day is being devoted by your pastors and by your elders to focusing on what we call the mission of the church. Did you know that? If you knew that before you came, you're really a brave soul. Because you kind of know what's going to be said before I even get up here, and that is we're going to be talking about how Christians should really care about the whole world and how we have this mission to bring the word of Jesus to every single person living in this world. We have been put on mission for that. And while I say it, you must be brave, is the reason I say that is because to fulfill that mission, if you can imagine this, worldwide, Everybody hears about Jesus means that all of us have to sort of, well, decenter our lives away from what's going on in our personal and family lives and start thinking about something much bigger than that. <sighs> the scripture reading this morning is a familiar passage. It's one that everyone in here probably knows by heart. If you haven't, Memorize it, then just you can just sort of act like you know it. Okay? And it's often called the Lord's Prayer. Now, before, what I'm going to do is ask you to recite the Lord's Prayer with me as our scripture reading. But before we do that, we have to figure out something. Do you have debtors or trespassers in this church? I need an answer. Debtors. All right, I've heard debtors. Okay, so if you're a trespasser today, you're off the hook. How about that? But if you're a debtor, um, you might want to pay attention. So I want you to recite this prayer with me. Jesus was asked, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he taught his disciples to pray this way. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, these are precious words to those who follow you. Words that you spoke thousands of years ago to your disciples. And so we turn to you now, calling you our teacher, calling you our Lord. And we ask you please to send Holy Spirit to us. May he come, may he fill every heart in this room, that these words spoken thousands of years ago may be your words to us today. May our eyes be open to see, may our ears be unstopped to hear you speak, and may Holy Spirit use the power that he used to resurrect you from the dead to resurrect us in the newness of life and empower us as your faithful followers. And as you do that, we will give you the praise for it, and we'll thank you for it. Amen.
Let me ask you a question, because it just depends on where you are on the spectrum of your spiritual life. Uh, when do you pray? I think, although all of us can answer that in different ways, some people say in the morning, some people say in the evening, some people say all the time. You really don't like those people, do you? The ones that say they're praying all the time? Um, yeah, well, I don't. Anyway, so, even though we would say different things, I think everybody in here, if you were honest about it, could agree with this. You pray, whether you're a fanatical follower of Jesus, or you're just wondering whether Jesus even walked this planet, no matter where you are in between those two endpoints, you pray when something big is happening in your life and you need some help. I mean, even the most faithful Christians often find themselves at night remembering that they had not prayed the whole day, and as they put their head on the pillow, they lay back and they say, Lord, please help. He's gone. It's a great, it's a great sleeping pill to start praying in bed, by the way, if you have trouble going to sleep at night. Just start praying. You'll go to sleep pretty fast. It's pretty good. But even if you don't believe there's a God, and things get really bad, I mean, like you're very sick, have an emergency with your children, or you just can't find a job and everything's about to collapse, you might even find yourself slipping into, help me. And then when good things happen, I've seen even friends of mine who are atheists look up in the sky and do this. Because all of us know that when something really big is happening in life, that's the time that you reach out to God. And it's the time when you pray. Okay, so here we have a passage in the Bible that we call the Lord's Prayer, which is the time when Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them how to pray. And usually we sort of take this as a model prayer to give us certain things to say in a certain order and those kinds of things. But I want to sort of change it just a little bit this morning to say that not only do we learn how to pray here, but we learn what's important. We learn what's important to Jesus. And no matter what you think about Jesus, he's, he's a big enough figure in this world for you to be interested a little bit in what he thought was important. And you can find those things in this prayer. So what did Jesus think was important? What, did, what was big enough for him? But he said, you know, I want everybody that follows me to be sure to pray about these things. In many respects, the Lord's Prayer gives us some of the most central and vital things to people who follow Jesus. And I think most of us can find those vital and central, super important things somewhere in that Lord's Prayer. But usually, let's just, let's just tell the truth about it. Usually, we find the centerpiece of our lives down in the bottom half of the Lord's Prayer. You know how it goes. Give us this day our daily bread. Well, that's important to you, isn't it? Forgive us our debts. So well, that's pretty big, yeah. Uh, lead us not into temptation. You know, when you think about the Christian life, a lot of us get preoccupied with those very personal things. And they are important. It's important to rely upon God to take care of your daily needs. It's important to find forgiveness. 
It's important to be delivered from the evil one who tempts us to destroy our lives by rebelling against God. Those are big things. But it used to fascinate me that that's not where Jesus started this prayer. Still does, because I think I'm just barely beginning to scratch the surface of why he didn't start in the bottom half. He started, and he put up front in this list of things that were important to him, important enough to make sure everybody prays for them. He started in the first half of the Lord's Prayer. You know how that goes, too. It's the part you say and sort of mumble your way through until you get something that means something to you. Give us this day our daily bread. But you know the words, don't you? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think there's a reason why those things are first. Because they set us up for what's actually coming in the second half. Because for me, I want to know, why should I be asking God to take care of me? Why should I be asking God to forgive me? Why should I be asking for help with the evil one who tempts me? Why should I do these things? Is it for me? Is it just so I can survive? So my life can be better? Well, I think the first half of the Lord's Prayer tells us exactly why the bottom half so significant. So let's unpack it a little bit. Let's look at the first half and just see what Jesus said to his disciples that day. And it starts off with what he said about God. Our Father. Now those are precious words to followers of Jesus. I mean, just imagine what he's saying there. He's saying that the one who made everything and the one who upholds everything throughout history that big, that magnificent, can actually be your tender, loving, spiritual father. That he can know you by name. That he can care about you as an individual. That's an astonishing feature of the Christian faith. That the God who controls everything can become your personal spiritual father. But you know as well as I do that if you emphasize that too much in your walk with Christ... It's not long before God, the Father, actually becomes God, the sweet granddaddy. Now, I know what a sweet granddaddy is. I am one. We've got a bunch of them in this church, don't we? People who retire to get close to their grandchildren. And every single one of you men now, you sweet granddaddies, you need to say amen when I tell the rest of them what we are like. There's nothing more important to a grandfather than for his grandchildren to love him. Amen. Nothing more important. So what you do is you spoil those grandchildren. Every time I walk into the room with my grandchildren, I think my grandchildren begin to salivate like Pavlov's dogs. Okay? It's in the room. This is going to be great. Something really big is going to happen. And it's true, because when they were little, I used to take them to the toy store, and if they wanted one thing, I would give them two of them. And two, that's not enough. Let's get three. Let's get a bigger version than that. Can we do that? It would be great. So it's very easy for us to think that when God says, that Jesus says, speak of God as our Father when we pray, that we begin to think of him as the heavenly grandfather who sits up in heaven, rocking in his rocking chair, looking down on the earth, and reading his hands and saying, oh, I wish my little children on the earth would just pay more attention to me, because if they would, I would make their lives so much happier. I exist to make my children on the earth happy. 
sense if you think that the God of heaven and earth is that concerned about your happiness, you're going to be sorely disappointed. And I'm happy to tell you this, that in reality, when Jesus says, our Father, he, he doesn't want us to think of God as a sweet granddaddy. We get the first hint of this in the fact that he says, don't just pray our Father, but pray our Father in heaven. Because every time you look in the Bible, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, every time you look in the Bible and you see portraits of heaven, the portrait's the same. Heaven is the throne room of God. It's where God sits as king and blinding light radiates from him. A river of fire pours, pours out beneath his feet. And there are creatures all around him, myriads upon myriads of them, who are shouting, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. No wonder Jesus said, Hallowed be thy name. That's the picture that Jesus is reminding his disciples of when he says, pray this way, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. It might surprise you to know this, but in the Bible days, both Old Testament days and New Testament days, both in Israel and outside of Israel, it was very common to call human kings, human kings, your father. So this is what Jesus is saying. Top of the list. The most important thing for every one of his followers to consider and to live for is this. Our royal Father, enthroned in heaven, may your name be kept holy. And that is why you'll hear people in this church, if, you, if you're new to this church, You'll hear them summarize the purpose of walking with Jesus and in this way. Um, the main thing you need to do with your life is to seek the glory of God. Because that is what Jesus is opening with in the top of the Lord's Prayer. The number one thing we live and die for is that God, not us, God may be honored. God's name kept holy. He be exalted. He be lifted up. This is our God, and this is the top of the list for our King Jesus. You know, Jesus is describing God as King here. And that's a huge problem if you're an American or if you are influenced by America. Why? Because we've never had a King. Most of us in this room have never lived under the authority of a King. We don't know what it would mean for someone to have that kind of power over us. There are our lives and our deaths in their hands. We couldn't even imagine such a thing as that. I come from Virginia. This is where I was born and raised within growing up Virginia. And Virginia's got a great state flag. This Florida flag, not very good. So let me tell you about the Virginia state flag because it's inspirational. It'll tell you a lot about Virginians and it will tell you a lot about you. It's got this nice, solid, blue, satin background. And in the middle of this flag is a circle. Most people, most Americans know that much about our, our state flag. But let me take you inside the circle so you get a picture of what it means to be an American. You ready? Here it is. Inside this picture, 
is a man lying on his back on the ground. He's dead. And next to him is a crown that has fallen off of his head. He's a dead king. And standing over this dead king on the ground is a woman who has a spear in her hand and her foot on the chest of this dead king. You got the picture here? This is inside that little circle. And written somewhere, either above or below, inside, inside that circle, are these words in Latin. Sick, simper, tyrannus, thus, always, to tyrants. Got the message? We will not have a king rule over us in the state of Virginia. And if someone tries to become our king, we know exactly what to do. We will send our women after them, and they'll take care of it. What, you don't think that's the message? It's hidden in there somewhere. Now, I think you know what the message is. We are Americans. We will have no king rule over us. Because human kings almost inevitably become tyrants. So sick, semper, tyrannus, never. And I don't know how to tell you this, brothers and sisters, but I think this is true. When you grow up in a country where you have government that is of the people, by the people, and for the people, it isn't long before you have religion that is of the people, by the people, and for the people. As if your Christian faith is for you. As if your Christian faith should be shaped by the things that you believe and that you hold dear. As if your Christian faith should have as its priority things that are derived from you, of the people, by the people, for the people. It's quite the contrary. We do not live for our own agenda. We live for the agenda of the royal father who lives in heaven. Whatever he asks us to do, whatever he commands us to do, we cry out, Amen and Amen, may your name be kept holy. Are you there? Is that where your life is? Or are you still living it for yourself and professing the name of Jesus at the same time? Our royal father enthroned in heaven, may your name be kept holy. It's number one. Jesus doesn't stop there in that top half, does he? He doesn't set the stage for all those personal petitions that we normally focus on with just one thing. He moves on to something else, and that is what this Holy Father, this Royal Father in Heaven, wants to happen. So listen now to what your King wants to happen. Our Father, who art in Heaven, hallowed be your name. Here it is. May your kingdom come, may your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. That's the mission of our great king. That's the purpose, the goal of his reign. It's at the top of his list for what he wants us to be doing 
with our lives. May your kingdom come. That's a nice religious phrase that Christians, especially in the past, we used to use it a lot. We would say, when the kingdom comes and things like that. I had a grandmother who loved to say that all the time. Um, especially like at Thanksgiving or Christmas. She cooked these great meals and she'd be in the kitchen washing all the dishes and I and the other grandchildren. We'd run into the, we'd be playing and we'd run into the kitchen we'd say, hey mama, can we have another piece of pie? Can we have another, another scoop of ice cream? And she would nicely and gently hold up her little towel Set it on the counter and she'd turn around and look at us and say this. Sure, you can have some more ice cream when the kingdom comes. That was my grandmother. When the kingdom comes, you can have another piece of pie. Now, so I learned very early in my life that the kingdom coming meant no. Not going to happen. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen so far into the future, you can't even imagine that it might happen. In the sweet by and by, when the kingdom comes, oh yeah, I knew, like when the impossible happens. And I'm afraid that this expression, kingdom come, is so overused that sometimes we don't have much sense of what it means. So let's ask the Lord Jesus, what did he mean? May your kingdom come. What's that mean, Jesus? Well, he says right away. He tells us right away. He says, may your will be done. Okay. I've got that, Lord. I've got that, Jesus. Because what kind of king would our God be if he has a kingdom where his will is not done? Not a very good, not a very powerful one. So it makes sense to me that God in heaven, the royal father, would want his will to be done. Okay. So Jesus, where do you want that to happen? Where do you want the Father's will to occur? And he tells us that right away too. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is about to flip your religion upside down. Jesus is about to take your Christian faith and turn it on its head. Watch how he does it. Most of us became followers of Jesus because someone told us that if we just put our faith in him, when we die, we will go to heaven. And we're all thinking to ourselves at those moments, that's what I want to be able to do, go to heaven when I die. Because what could be better than that? What could be bigger than that? Well, let me tell you, that's true, that when you come to Jesus and put your trust in him and follow after him, he, by his death and by his resurrection, guarantees that everyone who follows him will, when they die, go to be with him in heaven. It's a wonderful, wonderful truth, a wonderful hope. But heaven is not the end of the game. Heaven is not the ultimate goal for which people come to faith in Christ. And this is when it gets turned upside down. Where did Jesus want God's kingdom to come? Where did Jesus want God's will to be done? On earth. 
as it is in heaven. Heaven is not the goal of history. Heaven is not the goal of our Christian faith. Heaven, rather, is the standard for what we hope, what we dream, and what we work for, that God's kingdom and his will will come to this earth. You know, when you look in the Bible and you ask the question, how is God's will done in that heavenly courtroom where God sits on his throne? The answer is, Everybody that's up there, every creature we know of, does what the royal father on the throne says to do. Even the devil does when he's in that room. Job chapter 1. Even the devil does what God says when he's in that room. Now, when he leaves, he does what he wants to do, just like you and I do. But if you and I were in that heavenly court, if we were seeing God on this throne, that, that river of fire pouring out from beneath his feet, we would not even think of doing something contrary to what he said. But we, like Satan, when we're down here, far away from that, well, we do what we want to do, don't we? But listen to what Jesus' dream was. Listen to what his desire was. Listen to what was important enough to be sure you prayed for this. It is that God's will will be done on the earth as extensively as it is already being done up there in that heavenly court. Which means Jesus came to this earth not simply to rescue you so you could go to heaven, but Jesus came to this earth to turn this earth into the kingdom of God. To turn the earth into the kingdom of God. You wonder where the great cosmic contest is? It's here, on this earth. You wonder where God will be displaying his glory? The answer is it's here, on this earth. Do you wonder where the mission for every follower of Jesus is? The answer is, it's here, and it's on this earth. And the goal of this mission is for us to live for this dream and to serve this dream, that God's will will be done on this earth as extensively as it is in the court of heaven. Which means we want every man, every woman, every child on this earth to be obedient to the royal father in heaven. That is our goal. That is our dream. There's nothing less than that that is worthy of Jesus. And there's nothing less than that that is worthy of you. I know that in our American world, when we think of the American dream, it usually has to do with me and maybe if you're super spiritual, your nuclear family. But Jesus wants our dream to be the whole world. But to do that, you know what it requires? It requires a lot of sacrifice from people like you and people like me. Some of you have been called to live sacrificially right here in Jacksonville and to start reaching out to neighbors and to friends at work and things like that. That will require sacrifice from you. Some of you have been called to leave this place and go elsewhere to spread the good news of Jesus, and that will require sacrifice. It may actually require your life. 
run from it. I think really what we need to do is just take care of me and my little family. And that'll be enough. Thank you very much. But life for the Christian is life for the whole world. Now, I'm happy to tell you something today. I, I serve a little ministry that's called Third Millennium Ministries. I don't know if you know this or not, but this is the third Christian millennium. Started with zero, went up to a thousand first millennium, one thousand AD to two thousand second millennium, two thousand and beyond. It's the third millennium. Here's some good news for you. We look around ourselves and we think in the United States of America, Christianity's not doing so well, and that's true. It's not doing so well. And so you wonder why Jesus would put this out there for us. But let me give you some absolutely magnificent news. The third millennium. The third Christian millennium is the best Christian millennium yet. There are more people in this world today who are serving Jesus than ever before in the history of the world. It's astonishing how many people throughout the world follow King Jesus. And those people who follow him are in more parts of the world than ever before. This was not wishful thinking that Jesus is offering us in the Lord's Prayer. It is a prayer, but it is also a mission. Because he, by the power of his Holy Spirit, is ensuring that this vision will happen. That the ends of the earth shall know our God. That all people on the earth will hear of him. That the world will be transformed into the kingdom of God. And what a glorious and wonderful hope that is when most of the young people here today think that the only thing the future holds, the best we could possibly dream of the future holding, is what the TV series Walking Dead gave us. Where the world is full of zombies, undead, and there's a handful of people that might still be halfway human. That is not the future of this world. That is not that for which you live. This is not that for which you die. This is not the dream. This is not the goal. It is the day when the whole earth will praise our Lord Jesus. How did the Apostle Paul put it? He said that when Jesus returns, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, whether in heaven above, on the earth, or beneath the earth, that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. When you put yourself in line with the Christian missionary effort, you are not putting yourself in line with a losing cause. You are aligned with the greatest movement that has ever touched this planet. The kingdom of God, secured by the death and resurrection of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit to spread everywhere in the world. How could you possibly want to be a part of something greater than that? And so when I tell you it may take some sacrifice from you, let me just tell you this. If for the sake of the kingdom of God, you never see Paris in your lifetime. Just wait until you see Paris in the new world. It's ugly now. It won't be then. If for the sake of the kingdom of God, you don't buy that one more bigger house 
That one more newer car, if for God's kingdom you make that kind of sacrifice, just wait until you see the mansions you will have in the new world. If for the sake of the kingdom of God you forsake that illegitimate relationship you're involved in, just wait until Jesus returns and brings you into a new world and see the kind of relationship, the kind of fellowship, the kind of intimacy you have in the world to come. Nothing this world offers even compares to what the world to come will give you. If you give your life to the King. Tonight you have an opportunity. I'm sure some of you are super busy and probably just simply can't come. I get it. It's okay. But tonight you're going to have an opportunity as a church to reflect on you as a part of this mission. This church as a part of this mission. We're going to look at God's Word. We're going to talk about real life and what it might mean for you and how you can be a part of this thing called the mission of the church. But I'm hoping this morning that you can see that the Lord's Prayer aligns the priorities of the Christian life. Yes, it's important to seek your daily bread from God. Yes, seek forgiveness from God. Yes, seek deliverance from the tempter bottom half of the Lord's Prayer. But why? For your sake? Oh no. It's so that the Royal Father in Heaven's name may be kept holy. It is so that you can be a part of thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what Jesus meant when he gave his model prayer. Jesus, how we bless you, how we honor you, how good you are to speak these truths to us and to help us see them. We thank you that we are not without purpose, without dreams, without hope in this world. Grant us, Lord, the ability to make your 